0: Welcome to the Theory of Pro Wrestling podcast, where we explore modern pro wrestling through the lens of narrative, rhetorical, and cinematic devices used in literature and film. Drawing from past and present examples on WWE and AEW television, we debate the effectiveness of storytelling elements from the audience's perspective, not the business, the audience's perspective, the creative. I'm Jordan Cooper. Join with me. You may have seen segments with him on Fight TV. As well as doing podcasts with Eric Bischoff, Matt Hardy, you do sports broadcasting. The Emmy, I, I, how do I, how do I, how do I forget the I Emmy Award-winning John Alba? Is that is that your legal prefix?
1: Uh, my character on the Indies that is the legal prefix. Yes, the Emmy Award-winning John Alba is quite literally my independent wrestling character. So uh, I don't think you'll be seeing much of that character on this program because we're trying to be very real here. But I appreciate the accolades, man. And, and on your end, uh, extremely well accomplished professional BSer. So I think that all that will work together to create a great program.
0: Well, well, this program kind of stemmed from your Discord, your Patreon that, uh, that I'm a member of. We have a fairly intelligent conversation for what but the internet wrestling community <laughs> typically is. <laughs> and uh, if, if you want to join that, you can go to Wrestling According to Alba. We do, we do tape studies. We do. Right. We, we go over matches and I, I, I the, the, the nerdiness that happens in your Patreon is exemplified that the Iron Sheik died. So you thought it was a good idea. Let's go. Let's let's watch the gimmick battle royal. Right. So it's like, OK, this is this is cheap popcorn fun. It turned into like 15 minutes of discussing like top over the top. You to go over course. the top rope. Yeah, it was awesome.
1: It was, but that's what I love about it. I love having great people like you. As part of that community, there's so many others, too, who and the coolest part for me, Jordan, is seeing people grow their knowledge and their understanding of concepts in pro wrestling and create better discourse and discussion. I think that it's a positive place that even though there are people of differing backgrounds and perceptions of pro wrestling i think we find common ground in discussing things even if we don't all agree on it and that's been so much fun you've been a big part of that so i'm really excited to do this with you here
0: well uh the central tenet of this show like you mentioned theory of pro wrestling it sounds like oh the professors are showing up it's time to put our your phd hats on and you're right <laughs> <laughs> and, for, and for you, obviously, with your hair, you wouldn't be putting on. No, uh, there's hats. no hat
1: going on right. here. You're, You're going right to put right on right
0: more of your scarfs, like HD scarfs. Yes, my Burberry scarfs for sure. The central tenet is that pro wrestling has changed over the years, and we're using this term "modern pro wrestling." Now, a lot of people in in the community sometimes use that term as a pejorative. But what would you consider when someone uses the term modern pro wrestling in relation to maybe the past? Like, what does that mean to you?
1: I think modern pro wrestling is a hybrid of different influences that have come from all over the world that mix together in some sort of way where we can make just about anything be pro wrestling. We've seen these fantastic aerial matches between the likes of Ricochet and Will Ospreay. And then we see a bloodbath between John Moxley and Hangman Page. And then we see Broken Matt Hardy in these cinematic matches. I think modern pro wrestling is that intersection of all these different ideas of what pro wrestling can be rather than maybe what we saw 35, 40, 50 years ago where it was, this is what pro wrestling is. It's two people in a ring lariats irish whips maybe a power slam here and there and it's just a bunch of selling i think we've opened our mind a lot to what wrestling can be
0: that's just my take i don't know i'd love to hear your perception of it well i mean what you're describing a lot is in the presentation of the product so like we we see that to give you know someone like eric bischoff credit that you know i i got into wrestling in the, in maybe the late rock and wrestling period. I mean, I was like seven or eight at the time, but the main period was WCW Nitro, you know, early WWF raw. And like, I didn't, I never saw people like Eddie Guerrero mm-hmm. and Ray Mysterio and early Chris Jericho and Benoit. And like, it's like, Oh, this is so much different than WWF superstars on Saturday morning where it's you know some cartoon gimmick beating up some no name you know extra and some vignettes and I'm like oh this is this is way more entertaining to me the mat- the matches mean more right and kind of that came a lot from japan right it yep. came a lot from mexico mexico
1: especially right? mm-hmm.
0: and the us audience has really you know never necessarily seen that but to me modern pro wrestling I would equate very similarly to like post kayfabe. So, some people would say that the the post kayfabe world is like the social media end of the spectrum, 2011 forward. But I even think during you know the Attitude Era and the Monday Night Wars, even if you go back to the 80s, the amount of people that thought that it was real was very very low. Sure, right? People went sure. in with the notion of. Like yeah we know this this is choreographed but we're going to tr- we're going to treat it as much like it's real as possible but I think now in modern pro wrestling the audience because of the exposure especially in the late 90s that the audience knows it's a show and they're now treating it as a show the same way that they treat a TV show mm-hmm. or a movie they'd watch and it's not this is not supposed to be a sporting competition no. and we don't have any notion that it should be, it, it almost, I, I always put it as we're not watching a fake, uh, we're not watching a, I don't want to call it fake, but not watching a wrestling promotion with choreographed characters. We're watching a TV show that is about a fictional wrestling federation that exists. And these are just the characters that happen to be in it. And I think the way that, that, that creative in professional wrestling has changed is that, You need to be aware that the audience is aware that it is a show.
1: I think when you have that self-awareness in how you present your show, you do invite your audience to be more part of that shared experience. And I think when your audience is part of that shared experience, you earn a tremendous amount of goodwill in how you present your product, in when you make mistakes in your storytelling, when there are fallacies and inconsistencies in it. Your audience is with you because they know, okay, they, they have, they're they not treating me like I'm dumb. They're treating me respectfully where they recognize that I'm part of this shared experience with them, with these characters, with the pro wrestlers themselves. And I think that that, in turn, opens up Pandora's box as to what can we throw at the wall and present professional wrestling as. You know, you were talking about how, you know, some people would say, oh, well, it's really the 2011 the advent of social media. But I really do think you can put it more in line with, as you were somewhat alluding to, the very beginning of the internet age. I'm talking more like mid-90s or so. And I know this is such like a WWE writing history kind of thing, what I'm about to say. But I do think around the time of the curtain call is when we saw this... I don't want to call it an invitation because I don't think it was on purpose, but I think that happening invited fans in to change the way that they look at wrestling and feel more like they are part of the show rather than actually watching a show and then you get the nwo which is also then breaking that barrier down a little more eric bischoff is part of the nwo but we also know he's part of creative and the president of the company and that's where i think you can kind of pinpoint where that started to change
0: right because even back when i watched in my late teens like i knew chris jericho was at a contract with wcw and the main talking point i don't even know I wasn't getting the observer. It's not like I was, I was like getting the dirt sheets or whatever. You in an
1: AOL chat room? Yeah,
0: but I was probably in an AOL chat room <laughs> going like, like I like Jericho and WCW. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know he's leaving. Rumors are that he's going to WWF and I'm watching every week going, when is he going to show up? When is he going to show up? When is he? Gonna... And then the, the millennium countdown clock segment started showing. They didn't t- say who it was. Right it's just like oh this has to mean something and that gets into our topic that we're going to discuss today on Chekhov's Gun that okay this is this they're obviously alluding to to someone or something happening because this clock is showing up randomly throughout mm-hmm. the show and all all rumors were that the millennium man that's that's Chris Jericho we didn't know if he was going to be called Y2J and you could tell this is 1999 right when The Rock was on, it was in the ring doing the promo, and the countdown goes to zero. There were already signs in the crowd. Yes, yeah, there
1: were signs. Right? right, there were
0: signs in the crowd, and then when Jericho got displayed on huge the, the huge, I remember watching from home, going, "Yes, yes, he's here!" And imagine the discourse. Not, not to get a little off topic in the community, but this is this is twenty four years ago, and you never heard like, well. Is the WWF fan going to know who Chris Jericho is? Like, <laughs> like people knew who he was. It's not, this isn't this, this like, they're aware that they're, they're performers on a show. And I think that dovetails back to it, what it, modern is, pro wrestling is, is that you should, at least from my uh, perspective, that effective storytelling includes the fact that the audience will try to decipher how this show is going to go and are not ever alluding to the fact that, that these are real people do, you know, real, the characters are real doing real things in the ring or real storylines. Like, no, this is all written to some extent,
1: man. When you, when you break it down like that and you just say that out loud, Oh, no, no one would know who Chris Jericho is. It's like, yeah, okay, uh, you know, Diesel and Razor Ramon went over to WCW. But, oh, I, I don't know. The whole precipice of of Scott Hall's promo, you know, you you know who we are, but you don't know why we're here. Like, well, well, no, I have no idea who you are. It's so stupid to think about it in that sense. And when you put it in the modern era of pro wrestling where you do have fans in the discourse suggesting, oh, well, yep, they... AEW fans, they'll, they'll have uh, no idea who uh, Big Bill is because they, they didn't watch WWE and they didn't see who Big Cass was. You're, I mean, you're 100% right. The discourse is ridiculous. And I think that we are at an era where people also have the resources, Jordan, where if they truly, genuinely do not know who someone is, they very easily can throw Google up on their computer and find out every bit of information and context that they
0: would need in that. Well, I, th- I think also in the modern pro wrestling age, if you want to mm-hmm. call it that, that very similarly in sitcoms now, as you know, a former stand-up comic and comedy writer, you know, I professional, I have my that- opinions on, 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 on comedies on TV. But if you go back and you watch like a 1985 sitcom, you'd look and go, well, how is that going to work today? It, it's like, a lot of things are very ham fisted, right? It's a, it's very, very formulaic, right? The characters don't change much and they primarily didn't because of syndication because they knew they were going to sell after five seasons. (laughs) It's going to go off to some affiliate somewhere and they're going to be able to purchase packages and be able to, to, you know, watch them in any order. Right now we live in a media age. I'm not even talking about just wrestling in a media age where there aren't just three channels or just 50 channels. There's millions of channels. We're so overwhelmed by content that the, I don't want to call it the tropes, but the storytelling elements that we see from certain other pieces of media, we've seen often enough that putting them in the context of pro wrestling, if we've seen it often enough, you can't treat us like like it's going to be a surprise. You almost have to, in a way, Mm Treat us as very similar to. I mean, I'm going to use the, the the case for Law Law and Order. Like I don't know. I love Law and Order. I think it's the greatest procedural drama ever. You go go back to early Law and Order episodes in the first couple of seasons or SVU, and it's very formulaic. It's like okay, you know that. Oh, the jogger finds the dead body, right? And then you know it's oh the sister. We're going to go interview the sister, and then it's a you know that none of the first characters you meet are going to be right. the guy that did CSI
1: it. was too. CSI was the same way. Right.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But then the past like 10 years, they've thrown things in going, okay, we know, you know, the formula. So we're going to, in a way, swerve you, but it's still going to make sense. So it's not like, you're not like, it's like all of a sudden it's this person. So it's like, they've changed with the times they've had character development. It used to be that the characters never changed, but now the characters do. And it seems like there there's there's a portion of the audience in pro wrestling that like opines for like why can't it be presented like 1983? And then there's a lot a heavy portion of the current audience that's like, well, we've seen all of this before. We would like something that would be more exciting for us that that we're aware of what's going on.
1: Well, you you hit on the one term there that I was gonna bring about, bring up, and that is character development, where there are so many forms of long form storytelling out there across multiple mediums now where if you don't have quality character development over the course of your series or whatever it may be, whether it's a drama, a comedy, an action series or set of movies, if there's not quality character development, people learn how to tune that stuff out. Now they don't stick around. Uh, like you said, maybe back when Lawn Order started or CSI, people enjoyed the formula and that's what they got into. I think of like monk, even I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you ever watched monk with Tony Shalhoub, but it was very much the same thing. It was like, you knew how every episode was going to play out, but you can kind of came along for the ride. And over time he did develop some, but I think now the expectation is because of how many different examples of this and forms of it we have out there. If there is not quality character development, audiences will not stick with you. And I think, when you see pro wrestling promotions do character development well, because we're so used to pro wrestling, not doing it well, especially in recent times, it stands out more than ever. The hangman page situation, even Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, that stuff stands out because we haven't been conditioned to that in recent years, quite as much.
0: Right. And my attitude as, as discussed in, uh, in your discord and your, your, your hangout sessions on on on, on stream and zoom which which occur every week regularly, right yes. regularly regularly and regularly we're, we're debating it in some polite form yeah that's <laughs> right right you could get you could get if you want to be a part of it join the yeah. discord join Please. the patreon wrestling according to alba.com but we talk about it all the time that like like Oh, the bloodline, uh, the greatest story in the past 20 years. And like my attitude is like, no, that's just, to me, that's the standard.
1: It should be the standard.
0: Right. That's right. what should be that maybe not the specific story because the story is quite simple. But one of the the, the concepts that I beat off, beat off, right? I mean, Hopefully yeah. I don't beat off to, but, <laughs> I, but I, I drone on about a lot is from my, from my comedy background is, is Chekhov's gun. And... I bring that up and you go like, what, 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 what is Chekhov's gun? And I think it's the most useful form of, of seeing whether or not you believe at least it's all subjective that did the conclusion of a story or the progress of a story adhere to the background that was presented previously. So uh, Anton Chekhov, who was a 19th century writer, that's where it comes from. And he's uh, one of the greatest authors and playwrights of the modern era like he termed this in his letters, right? He always, you know, up and coming writers would ask him for advice. And the most famous version of what he said was, if in the first act you have hung a pistol on the wall, then in the following one, it should be fired. Otherwise, don't put it there. And it's basically that it it, it makes it so that it encourages writers or storytellers to not make false promises in their narrative. Don't put in details that draw attention and the key thing is to draw attention like simply wear you know wearing a certain shirt like doesn't necessarily mean something but like like when when paul bearer comes out you know with to, to the undertaker and says you know you know and and explains that his brother's still alive like that has to mean something don't like imagine a month later and it's like well whatever happens to whatever happened to the undertaker's brother it's like that's we, we know as the audience, at we should be paying attention to anyone that's in Undertaker's orbit. Yes, maybe, maybe that's his brother. Maybe we never get to see his brother, but someone else alludes to the like it's an element that's put in that is drawing attention. And you may not, as a storyteller, realize that you are bringing attention to it, but you need to look, you need to look in comedy, in, in comedy writing, you have to. I'm not going to throw in details of a situation and then not pay off in the punchline. I'm not going to make it so that, oh, well, it was a 350 pound, whatever. Like, unless the heaviness of the object matters in the punchline, like all I'm doing is adding words for no reason. And I think in professional wrestling storytelling, uh, we could go through a ton of examples of when it wasn't adhered to. But I also think to, to move forward past this is that I think... In modern pro wrestling, I think even the audience is aware of this.
1: Yeah, I'd say going back to what you said about like the 350 pound thing, I think sometimes in storytelling, imagery is important in, in those off wrestling examples where maybe something like that does come into play. But uh, I'll tell you, when we, when we were talking about the the topic of what we were going to discuss today, there was one example immediately that came into mind for me to kind of provide additional context to some people who may not be familiar with it in the wrestling realm per se. Uh, are, are you into the MCU? Are you into?
0: Well, I mean, I, am uh, not specifically, but okay. I'm, you know, I, I, I typically use that as the, as an example also, I, because. Have I mean, you seen Infinity War and Man. Endgame? No, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I know okay. the characters. I'll
1: give you a very specific moment here. So okay, in Infinity War, they're a, Group of them are fighting Thanos. Okay, Thanos is threatening to wipe away all of society, half of society, and they're having a discussion. And Tony Stark, Iron Man, says to Doctor Strange, who's this all-knowing being, "What are you doing?" And Doctor Strange is running all of these scenarios in his head of how how many possibilities are there in which we beat Thanos? Out of thousands and thousands and thousands of probabilities, how many of them do we actually beat him in? And he says. Just one. And Tony wants to know what it is, but he can't tell him what it is. That's in one movie. And then in the next movie, in the big climax, spoilers for anyone who uh, hasn't seen this movie that came out five years ago, by the way, this big climactic moment, Tony Khan gets, the, uh, Tony Khan, so yeah, t- Tony Stark gets, the, maybe Tony Khan does too. I don't know. Tony he has, Khan he has,
0: he has so much time on his hands. He does. Know.
1: He really does. He might insert himself digitally into this movie. Uh, he's got the Infinity Stones on his hands. And he looks at Dr. Strange, who's in the corner. And Tony knows if I snap this, I'm going to die, but it'll save the world. And he looks at Dr. Strange and Dr. Strange just throws up one. Because this is the one scenario in which it will work. It was planted there in the movie before. And whether you were consciously thinking about it or not, it was hanging in the background, a very important story to tell. And then it gets paid off. It happens in wrestling in good wrestling storytelling quite a bit. And you can look at examples where uh, maybe it was intended to happen, but didn't. And there's one perfect example of that, Jordan, that we could spend an hour talking about. And that would be Bray Wyatt specifically, where uh, especially in his recent run, there were so many examples of this where, oh, yeah. Look, do you see that on the wall there? You, You see that graphic? You see someone. See someone walk past him and behind him. You see that thing that flashed on the screen? That's going to pay off months from now. <laughs>
0: Never happened. Not great. Right. Not it, 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 typically you, you, you realize uh, issues with Chekhov's gun when it egregiously doesn't pay off. I mean, yeah. but, and and the more you condition your audience that things are not going to pay off the more and more that your audience isn't going to pay attention. So, I mean, I take a look at like, uh, like GTV from 1999, right. Right. They had all the backstage and the guys shooting this footage. And then they just decided, yeah, just, we showed you all that and you never, whatever. I my, my favorite was because it was towards the end of when I stopped regularly following wrestling until I, you know, more recently got back into it was the note that Booker T got that said, I still remember and it's like, ooh, what's this going to? Because you're like, 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 who remembers what or whatever? And then they just like, like, acted as if that never happened. And you see that. You, I mean, truthfully, you see a lot of that mm-hmm. in pro wrestling. And the Chekhov's gun stuff that they do adhere to, mostly, is so hamfisted that you that the audience w- sees it from a mile away. And I think. That realization, I don't want. I don't want to give this guy as as much credit as as he should get. But Vince Russo, I I recently watched some of WCW in two thousand. Oh, it is it. a special type of training. It is plus, it is almost so enjoy. I watched it at the time yeah. and thought it was horrible. But now looking back and watching it, going this is this is insane on how, what they even thought that this was going to be an enjoyable show. But <laughs> b- back then Vince Russo would try to do this like work shoot type everything. of everything. Everything was a work shoot. shoot. Right. But it was, but the thing is that the, the problem was, is that, that it never adhered to Chekhov's gun. Nope. It was just like, uh, we're going to, we, we know you think this is going to happen, but we're going to make it so that this guy turns on that guy because you're not going to expect it. But the audience wants to be surprised. Right. Right now, I want to watch Dynamite and, and, and be, surpri- be surprised at the way a story goes. But I don't want to be surprised because I never saw it coming. I want to be surprised on I never saw it coming. But upon further reflection, looking at some past details, maybe I should have seen it coming. And the more and more that a promotion or a television show produces that feeling where, trust us, there's a reason we included this detail. Let it play it's, out, pal. Right. Let it play out <laughs> and that we could come up as a fan with like eight different ways that mm-hmm. well, they put the detail in for a reason, they could go like eight different ways. Yeah. And mm-hmm. sometimes the eight ways that you think of, they come up with a ninth way that you never thought of and it still makes sense. But, but that whole concept of storytelling in that fashion has to go back to the central tenet that we need to be aware that the audience knows that they're watching the show.
1: Yeah, and I think that when you, and I've said this before, and you've probably heard me say it, but when you reward the audience for paying attention and you reward them for following those small details that you drop in the early portions of a story, I think that that's when they connect to your product, regardless of whether it's pro wrestling or not, I think that's when they connect to your product to the point where, they will invest even more in it, whether it's monetarily or just strictly from dedicating their time to it. I, I actually use that as part of my pro wrestling character for this long term story that we did with a group for those who aren't familiar some of my indie work called Prestigious, where uh, there was an online series that was closed set tapings where we had these short interactions between the guy that I was managing and a tag team. And every now and then they would cross paths and there would be tension, but then they'd look past it and eventually they come together. And my character says, you know, the best part about pro wrestling is you get rewarded for paying attention. So why weren't you paying attention? And then I reworked it two years later when we paid off the storyline of them eventually all splitting up that, because my guy and I turned on them eventually where I was speaking to them. Yeah. You're going to get reward for paying attention. So why weren't you paying attention? I think that when that goodwill is instilled upon that concept, uh, you will receive not just benefit of the doubt, as I was saying at the beginning of this, but I really do believe it enhances your storytelling uh, just across the board. Uh, now to the the point that you were just making before, um, remind me, I'm sorry, Psycho, I just went on a total tangent of that, but uh d- remind me of the point that you just said before, because I have a point to build
0: off that. What, as far as that, the audience, like, in order to play on that, you have eight possibilities, mm-hmm. and maybe we can come up with a ninth that still logically makes sense based on the information that we've previously given you, that it requires you, the audience, to know that it's a show. Like, yeah. Like, you could... For instance, that was you could sick. go through, you could have the, you could have very, very simple, like, I'm not friends with you anymore. And it could be exposition, which is typically the cheapest way of doing it. Of like, oh, I'm just going to do a promo for three minutes. And you didn't know I I, I felt this way about you, but I'm going to just say this all for three minutes. And then later in the show, they turn on each other. It's mm. like, like, but we didn't get any of the bread. Like you could do that in 1983, but i think you know when you have breaking bad and you have ozark and succession and it's like people pe- people want to have to look into go how do, the characters should change gradually right they should have different motivation what is their motivation so i think that when you do include that in your wrestling storylines that it's it's more beneficial to you to have it being open to like you could include breadcrumbs that maybe you don't pay off for a year and a half some you pay off in 3 months and then as injuries happen new talent comes in obviously wrestling is a is more like a like a daytime soap opera where characters kind of come in and disappear mm-hmm. and whatever that you could someone is chronicling all of these breadcrumbs and going okay what do we want to do for the next 3 months why don't we do this because he can mention this from 6 months ago we have all these breadcrumbs to kind of use, and then it allows the audience; they could pre- they try to predict what the story is going to go. And sometimes it sometimes it's a simple story that's like, yeah, Hangman beats Kenny and wins the title. And sometimes it's he doesn't, but it made sense because of everything else that happened.
1: Let me ask you this, and this is a genuine question here, and it, it may sound facetious, but I'm I'm really not trying to be. Do you think? that the attention spans of audiences have changed so much in recent years that if you attacked every story that you're going to tell with that same approach that we're going to sprinkle breadcrumbs in early and you're going to see how it's going to be rewarded in a payoff months and months down the line from now. Do you think that today's type of audiences, today's type of pro wrestling audiences would have the patience to deal with that for every single story told on TV.
0: Yes. I, I, I am of the complete opposite uh, opinion that most people go, it's a social media age. Everyone's on TikTok, right? It's seven second clips. It's 14 seconds. They have second screens. They're doing everything like that. But that's really, if you take a look at the trend in media, it's narrow casting, like, that may have existed in the beginning. Like you go by, you know, the early internet because the amount of content that was available was much smaller. So people do have short attention spans for things that they don't have emotional investment in, but they have insane amounts of attention spans Mm -hmm. for things they do. People will sit down. I will sit down and say, I'm going to watch all seven seasons of game of Thrones in a row for an entire week. Like, People, if they're invested in something, they go deeper down. And if you don't get that investment, then you get the fly-by-night type of audience. Perfect. And I believe every piece of media these days, not only from a creative standpoint, but from a business standpoint also, which is what we don't really want to talk about that much on this show. Uh, you, you make a lot more money from a smaller audience being heavily invested than a larger audience that doesn't in this this day and age of how money gets made.
1: What's fascinating, Jordan, as we're talking about this, it's coming to mind for me. I would think about this a lot in my TV news career. When I'd be writing pieces, they would always tell us you, they would have you do workshops and stuff. They'd always tell you, you've got three to five seconds to capture the audience's attention. You've got three to five seconds, whether it's by catching it in your video catching it in your audio or catching it in your writing. Someone's going to decide within five seconds if they want to stick around for the rest of your piece. And they see your hair
0: and they stick around.
1: All right. Well, normally I'm off camera for that part. (laughs) Normally I'm off camera for that part. So what I would always try to do in my writing would be in the first couple of sentences, drop a hint at something that is to come later in the story, whether it's in my reveal, because I could, I could lay out my structure for storytelling easily, whether it was in my reveal or in my ultimate payoff, my last couple of lines of the story, something was sprinkled in there in the first couple of sentences, big or small, that would try to entice the audience to say, huh, that's interesting, or to grab their attention and want to know more. And that's a very micro example of this, but I think that does translate to this more macro scale of long form storytelling in professional wrestling, where when you are setting two people up for a feud or two entities, whatever it may be, I think there are these things that you can drop in the very early goings that you can pay off when it comes time to have your big blow off match, or maybe even later down the line. Like I was thinking about, as we tape this last week, we had that Adam Cole and MJF promo in the middle of the ring to kickstart their feud. And I was going back and reviewing it and trying to find little nuggets that I know that they could pay off. And then it got me on another little bender of information. I'm like, OK, where else did we see this in an MJF feud? The Darby Allen one where right away from the beginning, MJF is talking about beating Darby Allen before with a side headlock takeover or that he could beat him with a side headlock takeover. So we know by them dropping that breadcrumb that that should ultimately play into how this feud culminates, or at least a major beat in this story.
0: Right. Uh, One of the other examples recently, this shows the difference between a smart wrestling audience and a a dumb one. I don't want to, I want to phrase it at that. Throw it out there. But there was a promo with uh, Hangman and the Bucks after their match, you know, that they lost against the Blackpool Combat Club. And Marvez asked, you know, where's Kenny? Like word is that Kenny Kenny left and he's he went back to Canada. He's out of the country. No, he did. Marvis said he's out of the country, uh, and we went back to Canada. And you know, and then at the end of the promo, Heyman Heyman said said Yeah, he's out of the country, but he's not in Canada. Like, what the the audience is supposed? What is the audience supposed to think? Where the we're supposed to think? Oh, so he's out. Of- they didn't tell us he's in Japan. No, right but we have to figure based on Kenny's background his history yep his history he's probably in Japan they've been mentioning that they're they're Takeshita turned and now they're one man down we've got a new Japan crossover pay-per-view
1: coming up right
0: right so it's like so the fans are just like like is this is this he's getting Kota Ibushi right he's getting like maybe he's not getting Koto. maybe it's going to be something that's going to make sense otherwise of why he would be in Japan we know that that wouldn't have been mentioned if, it, if it's not, if it's not going to be important, if they, it's not just the thrown in the promo and it's mentioned in a way where it makes you feel smart, where they didn't tell it. It's to me, it's a much less effective from my perspective as an audience member of him going, uh, yeah, Kenny's gone. He went, he went back to Japan. Mm-hmm. Then hangman just kind of, kind of saying, yeah, he's out of the country. But he's not in Canada.
1: Well, I think the audience having to do a little work also creates more investment in the story. I think if the audience sees. Because I think subconsciously. Some people don't even think about the fact that they're being given a clue. I think some people think that they're being genuinely catchy on something. Oh, I caught that. Did anyone else catch that? Did anyone else see that? Like they're, they're genuinely believing that they're on top of something. I think that's kind of the beauty of baiting something out there because there will be some people who are like, oh, that's an obvious tease. And then maybe you'll get a different degree of fan who's like, oh, wait a minute. That was, that was interesting what they did. So I think you can get a variety of investment types when you do drop little hints
0: like that. Right. Because even, even if you didn't pick it up on it then, Mm -hmm ultimately at Forbidden Door or something like that, when when Kota comes out or some other Japanese talent or whatever happens, you could then go back like, oh, that was a surprise. And then you think and go, well, I've been watching the show every week and go, oh yeah, well, he did do this and he did do that. And yeah, that does make, from a character standpoint and a plot standpoint, that all makes sense. And I think that in modern pro wrestling, it's that's more of what, is ultimately more compelling and more effective at least subjectively to me than the, the kind of the crash TV like 1998 raw where like dude, like, yeah, I didn't see that coming and that was a cliffhanger, but I don't know how that makes sense. Like feel free. I'm going to try to figure out how next week they're going to justify what just happened on this show And then it ends up being a very contrived mess. Well, and the beauty
1: of it, too, Jordan, is that if you do this well and you do it effectively, you can create cliffhangers that people know. Yeah, that's a cliffhanger. But because I've been paying attention, I feel pretty confident what's going to happen here. I feel pretty confident in that we're going to get this thing paid off. And I think that is one of those special elements of pro wrestling where, I'm I'm trying to think of a a proper example for this, but you you know, for example, okay, here's a good one. Here's a good one. The hangman page story that led to him becoming world champion. We've been getting, I mean, there's millions of breadcrumbs that were left for that story that you could lean on that supported the arc. But when hangman page lost his opportunity at Kenny before ultimately winning one back, You know, he lost and then he went away. Quite a cliffhanger, right? But we know based on the small promises made early in the story and the small teases left in the beginning of the arc, we can anticipate how this story ends. But because it didn't follow the exact formula that we thought, I don't think a lot of people expected him to lose his title opportunity. Well, now we've created a cliffhanger that we're still anticipating the ending that we think is going to happen. And I think that's a good way to push that boundary a little bit, but still deliver on the gun.
0: Right, because even even my wife, which, you know, I always say is is the representation of the casual fan. Right. Someone that didn't watch wrestling back in the day, just got involved in because I watched A.W. uh, She points out she she's always concerned. When Hangman has a beer in his hand, right? Because she has watched what happens when he was down, and FTR came with the you know the alcohol to manipulate him and everything. It's like sometimes is that is that going to be? We know how the elite operate. That thing, everything is kind of done for a reason. But like she, 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 she almost look. She notices it when I go. I don't think this is meant to be that noticeable, right? Some of the things you could tell are meant to be noticeable. And some of the things are maybe really subliminal, really subliminal, or sometimes truthfully, you're you're you've been in the industry, not meant to mean anything. It just, yeah so someone, someone screwed up and didn't think in terms of like, like what, like they're not thinking that, that deep. And it just so happens, you know, he has a beer in his hand type of thing. Like it could be that. But it's not, but it's not point, if if commentary was going on about it, going Adam, a, a, a Adam Hangman Page, whoa, with the beer in his hand, like, then it would be like, okay, this is something that we should be paying attention to. And that's why it's not even just the characters in the creative. Like, the audience is aware that what the commentary's job is, that if Excalibur doesn't point it out, and you think it's a big deal, maybe it isn't. It's not. Right. Right. If it's if it's mentioned in a promo, you know, at the nine o'clock hour in a 12-minute promo on in, in a main event feud, and something is harped on, like, okay, I, I know that's gonna I know that's gonna mean something. Well, and there's a much
1: more minuscule scale to look at this too, Jordan. This is how you tell stories in the ring, aside from the storylines, when The heel gets heat on an opponent by targeting a body part. Say they're targeting their knee, right? Early in the match. You know, if you're really watching this match, that that knee is going to play into the final chapter of the match. It's going to play into the final moments of the match. Truthfully, if you do it well, it should even play into the finish of the match. So I think that there are ways to look at this and not just the scale of, oh, months and months and months of storytelling. But I think that great pro wrestlers also utilize that style of storytelling within the context of their matches. And to the point that you were making about commentary, I think sometimes it's important for commentary to harp on some of those things. They don't have to hit you over the head with it, but make the audience aware. Oh yeah, look at him going to work on the knee. Uh, we saw what happened in the knee earlier in the match because then you're cluing in the audience. Hey, pay attention to that because that's probably going to get paid off in the finish of this thing.
0: i debate that. I'd be on the opposite side of the spectrum. Okay. So the debate that I would have with you is that What you're thinking is traditional pro wrestling, right? So you're, what you're, what you're describing is we're going to have a choreographed match that represents something that would be portrayed in real life. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, in real life, if I knew someone had an injury, right. And I was going to have a wrestling match against them. It's like, I'm going to target, you know, I'm going to target their leg. I'm going to target whatever. I'm going to try to take advantage of it. And then the other person, you know, that's the story of the match. My, my, my thesis is that, that, Dude, this is a This is this is Cirque du Soleil. This is I don't care if you could use that as a pejorative or not. That like I view Chekhov's gun. There are many more instances of not adhering to Chekhov's gun in the ring mm-hmm. because it's not of the storytelling. What I mean by the storytelling of wrestling has still been stuck in that regard. Like from an audience perspective, knowing wrestling as a wrestling fan, uh I'll 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 use I'll use a the, the bs example and i'll use a much better example later uh it's it's uh it's, it's it's there's a match between two main eventers and you know they have some moves and 2 minutes in that someone goes for the pin are you are you buying that is that the end of the match
1: no and and there should be a kick out at one at the very least you
0: yeah, but what no, no no my 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 point is why should there even be a pinfall right mm-hmm. like my like like it, you're doing, I understand the reason why, because the character is like, I think I got him. But it's like, in the history of what we've seen this product, it does anyone. Seldom, admit,
1: seldom has happened that way. Right.
0: So, like, we know this is a show. You don't have to play real for us. You could perfectly fine to just make it. Like, imagine a match, right? Imagine a match that, I mean, dude, we, we see it in wrestling all the time. Like, the main event of a pay per view how much more invested are you the first five minutes of the match versus like once we get to minute 20, of course, like, you know, the match isn't ending in the first five minutes. So it almost feels as if the things that you're doing in the first five minutes are only to make it so that it feels like a match. And it's not necessarily like, unless you're going to include items, like you said, that are going to be used later on in those first five minutes. What's the purpose of the first five? It's like, don't just do the first one. I'm going to work your own. I'm going to work. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We're going to look at each other. And it, it shows that we're about equal to each other. It's like, dude, let's get to the interesting part. No, but I I think that is what you see
1: a lot of in pro wrestling. I, I I agree with you. I think that does happen, but I do think that great storytellers in the ring, sprinkle in those things that they can utilize as callbacks. And I understand your whole overarching point here is that, well then that is the traditional way to do pro right. I, I don't want it. to say
0: this is extreme. I'm I'm presenting right. it more to more extreme, just exaggeratively to make the point I understand. of like imagine a match, John, that ha- didn't even have a pinfall or submission attempt until minute fourteen. Like does that does that take a does that take away from like it, you wouldn't be used to it because you'd be like, wow, there's been no like no one's tried to actually like win the match, but it's like, well, no one should because I don't buy anything like 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 imagine we talk about finishing moves like the whole purpose of a finishing move is to, is to signal to the audience right. that that this is my best move. And there's most people I beat because of this, like. Like, dude, are, are we watching a Randy Orton match? And then, like, oh, Randy Orton wins in six minutes without an RKO. Like, we've never seen that. So, like, what is my investment until I think the match doesn't even, like, emotionally resonate with me until he even attempts that move? Because we all know, I know as an audience member, that this is choreographed for me, that you have to make, you really have to make the first 10 minutes of this match Pay off the details. Let let me see those little things, but don't just do 10 minutes of something that you're you're doing this. You're just like, oh no, we're just gonna have some standard thing, and then then yeah, the last five minutes encapsulated amongst itself is all interesting. It's like like mm. dude to make to just make the match shorter. Imagine imagine a match, John. That there's only one pinfall attempt and, and that's it. And that's the I mean, that, I, that, it's, that, it's kind of like end.
1: shoot, it's kind of like shoot wrestling, right? Like it's it's like if Otis came out there and just flan someone and like shoot pin them in a matter of seconds. Like that would be bewildering. Yeah, we, we've never it was, seen wouldn't that actually be more realistic, but it would be more realistic for sure. Exactly. Uh, and I think we were talking about with finishing matches, finishing moves, rather. Sorry. I think that a lot of pro wrestlers go in with the mentality of we're going to build anticipation to me hitting this move. And we're going to build, 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 build. There's going to be teases of me hitting that. And then eventually I'm going to pay it off. And that is, A more old school way to look at it, but to push back to Jordan is just because something is old school, it doesn't mean that it's not effective either. It can still be very effective uh, in. In in twofold, in one, recognizing that, yes, we know that this is fake, this is not real, this is going to be something that we're going to just try to take the audience on a ride for. But at the same time, I do think a lot of smart wrestling fans, to use the term that you did before, I think they appreciate the idea of getting lost in the art and getting lost in the idea that I know everything I'm watching is fake. But seeing someone transition between grappling moves, seeing someone target a limb, and then how do they come out of the adversity presented by that? I think there is an appreciation factor with that as well. That you can lean on both sides of that equation in helping tell an effective story.
0: Yeah, but you're actually mentioning things that will play into that that third act. If you want to break down the match, and that's how I do. I, I break you know, matches.
1: I break matches into chapters. That's pretty right. much how I do everything.
0: Right, but uh, there are a lot of wrestling matches where chapter one provide you with no information that goes into chapter two, that provides Mm -hmm. no information that goes into chapter three. It's just like, we need to fill 12 minutes of time. Sure. And, and it, that's hard. It's hard to do. I'm not saying that that's an easy thing to do, but one of the, the the biggest one for me, the one that I point out all the time is, is tables. Like, I view, like, like, like Dudley boy matches, like, those any, any weapons matches, hardcore matches, like, like, dude, once there's a table set up, I can understand if you want to go within the realism of like we want to get you to get lost like these are real characters in a match. There may be a pinfall attempt that we don't buy, but what I don't like, what I what I, what I never I never bite on, are false finishes that I know are intended as false finishes. Right? They're they're meant to to portray to the audience. You're supposed to buy that this could be the end of the match and we all know that if there's a table set up in the in the in the ring and it hasn't been broken yet that's that's the pistol on the wall like right. I, it's hard for me to really buy into that last the third act when the table is set up in act 1 and it hasn't been broken yet the ladder hasn't been used yet the weapon that was introduced hasn't been thing only because for two reasons one we've seen these matches so often that like, they wouldn't... We know Jekov's gun. They yeah. wouldn't have included... They wouldn't have brought out the table if they're not going to use it. But if they presented plenty of matches that brought out tables that never used them, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. But now, it's like, dude, this is a big match. And it's no DQ. And then the person brings out a table. I'm like... And then then you see a spot eight minutes later where it's like, they do their finishing move. And it's off the top rope. And I'm like, like no, I didn't buy on that 2.99 because the table was still there. And maybe
1: that's an example where the gun is too obvious. Maybe that that is one of those situations where you're beating the audience over the head in
0: it's, it's just too upfront. Well, didn't you argue on uh, didn't you argue in discord? Mm-hmm. I'm going to call you on this Go ahead. in, 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 in one of our, in one of our uh, hangouts, which you could I, join yeah. us wrestling, according to Alba.com. Even at the lowest level, right? Could even be at the disparate. lowest level, even, even at, at the, the lowest
1: tier, no, I'm right?
0: Just uh, we you are—we call that the Ed tier around those parts. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you argued. I mentioned that with the table because I think that's the most common in-ring example of that. Because it's very—it is the gun on the wall. Mm-hmm. That it's like, well, in a real fight, like someone would bring out a table and then they get beat up before they get to use it, and like, but I'm like the whole point is like, we know this is a show what, what, what show if you want, if I watch law and order and they're like, you know, they keep on, they, they bring out the fact that, you know, the husband was there that night and then they never question the husband or anything like, like dude, obviously something with the husband is going to like, don't buy me that the person that they arrested, that is, they're trying to make out is the criminal is probably not probably the enough. criminal because they wouldn't have mentioned the husband so many goddamn times.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I I agree with you. I don't disagree with you on that, Jordan, about the table. I think that it would be interesting if... And it's, it's not necessarily paying it off in the traditional sense of Chekhov's gun, but maybe you find ways in innovating in your storytelling where the table still comes into play in the story's finish but it's not necessarily used in the way that you're thinking it's going to be. Maybe that table, someone's going to use the table, but then they get caught up in something else, so the table played into it without actually having been broken. And and this is me off the top of my head thinking
0: of things, I'm sure. Right, but, but what I'm talking about primarily is not necessarily the table, I'm talking no. about the the choreographed false finish. No, I understand like, I'm perfectly fine with the table being out there, but don't try to don't try to trick me with some false finish until the table is broken. Like if the table ain't out there, then fine. I could buy bi- I could bite on those.
1: But what I'm saying is maybe maybe we enter an age where some of those things are leaned into, but not necessarily paid off in the traditional sense so that another time you can do that. Do you understand what I'm saying with that? Right. Like, well, I maybe mean, you have to condition the audience like that, but, but that's what I'm saying. It's almost as like a challenge to those of us who are telling these stories. Maybe there is a way to lean into Chekhov's gun, but also kind of reinvent Uh, So you get out of that conditioning of, oh, well, I see the table. Well, I know I I won't believe anything else until I see it used. Maybe there are ways to reinvent. I'm just speaking hypothetically here and trying to uh, provide some because here's the bottom line, right? We have seen so many stories told in wrestling, in media, in whatever, that at times it, it does become hard. To come up with innovative ways to present something and to tell that story. So maybe if we can push ourselves as storytellers to utilize some of the elements of these theories that have been successful in the past, but then build on them and rely on that goodwill with our audiences that we've created, that we will pay this off effectively. I think it would be a worthwhile experimentation for some people in the pro wrestling room.
0: Well, from your perspective, I mean, one of the, one of the, one of the guns, if you want to call it is the heel manager, right? Like typically, you know, the, the heel typically has the number advantage, mm-hmm. right? And you're going into this match going, it's like, Oh, how is the baby face going to get screwed? Right. You got the heel manager out there jumping. The common one is the jumping on the apron, you know, whatever, yelling at the ref so that the heel could then, you know, do a nut shot or something it's like that. Off. The kind of right, the cut, right. Mm-hmm. in your, in your career as a heel manager have, have you incorporated any like innovative ways where you're the, the heel manager is going to get involved in a way that the audience goes, okay, we, we, we've seen this coming. And then they, it's, it's, it's a swerve on that. Yeah. We know, we know, you know, this trope, but we're going to play this as almost like a red herring of like, you're going to think this and then it ends up being something. It, you, the heel, the heel ends up winning, but it just doesn't, it doesn't have, like, it's almost the way that you described it. Of, mm. Like, have you experimented like that yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, I I know that I'm, I'm trying to think of very specific examples, but there have been times where you tease tension between a character that is a heel with a heel manager, so myself in a heel, where you think we're having tension, and everyone thinks that I'm going to accidentally cost my guy in the match that's going to build to a split or a babyface turn from the person. And when they thought it was going to happen, it didn't. I proved to them that, oh, no, I actually did help my guy. I knew what I was doing. The way, though in which we did it was almost a wink and a nod to the audience that where they saw, okay, it worked in this time, but is it going to work next time? Uh, It was in a promotion called let's wrestle specifically that I did this with. um, And I'd I'd have to go back and because this was four years ago, five years ago, we're talking here. Um, No, it wasn't. It was IWE. It was in, uh, which was one of the first promotions I ever worked in actually with a organization that I managed called the station. Cause I was John Alba from the station. Get it. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, cause I was from a TV station. Uh, but um, we, everyone thought cause we dropped all these hints that I was going to turn or that I was going to cost my guy. And we didn't. Um, I Again, I, I'm, I don't want to be put on the spot here cause I don't want to lie to you and pretend that I remember the specific details. Right. But were the hints?
0: Me, uh, let me ask, let me ask John, were they, were there's there's two ways of doing it with what you described it's like mm-hmm. we're gonna throw i'm thinking as the storyteller yep mm-hmm. right like not as the that like what would be good for business what would be good for booking and whatever would, yeah, yeah. It, that was there are two ways i i would think the old like kind of the crash tv way and then i think the modern pro wrestling way uh the crash tv way would be you you're, you've planned it out that you have hinted that you, there's tension, 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 mm-hmm. tension, and then at the end, the audience gets revealed that we were faking it the whole time. <laughs> no, we didn't it's do like, that. Like no one no. acts like that. No, no one, we That's, no one That is not how we go did. through all of that. For right? but the modern way to do right. it is like no, these people really do have tension, and they figured it out. And maybe it's some match down the line, that tension builds. But, but the, the people, the characters are acting like real people yes. not and presented and written that way and not just this like this harebrained. We planned it out the whole no. time that ne- that doesn't make any. Just no, absolutely time.
1: not. Because you're right. That is ridiculous. Absolutely. So I'll go more into the weeds of it. So it was with a character named Jimmy Limits, uh, who was part of this. And we had had miscommunication. It had looked like I was going to drop him or he was going to drop me. One of the two things. And I proved to him, I came through for him and helped him win in a way that wasn't insulting to him. Uh, I forget the specifics of the exact finish of the match, but it was like one of those things. See, I told you I had your back and we got past the match and it was like, see, I've got you. But you could tell there was still a little bit of weariness. But I think everyone was anticipating that the beat that we were going to hit in that was going to be uh, no, there's going to be an issue here. There's going to be uh, there's going to be a turn, but it didn't happen. And actually, Jordan, I'll, I'll draw a comparison to this on AEW television. Remember when everyone
0: thought that Daniel Garcia was going to split from Chris Jericho? Right. I mean, I t- truthfully, I think they should have did it. I mean, I time. think they
1: should have too. But,
0: but, but my point but is, no, but do you ha- you have to understand that's still there? I mean, you got. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I've been to AEW shows since that moment, and people do still shout. You're a wrestler, right? And and like so, people remember. Mm -hmm. I I, there are times that obviously outside of the scope of this show that, from a storytelling perspective, and maybe we'll we'll talk about some of these things on future programs that maybe was the best. Maybe to to go into chapter three in that story. Maybe chapter two is a little too long, right? <laughs> Dude,
1: I'm, I think timing is just as much part of this conversation as anything else because I think it's very easy to lose someone if you go too long with something or sometimes you jump the gun and it's too short. I think that's a, a very easy way to screw up this style of storytelling.
0: Right, and we're ta- and to, to be clear, we're talking about storytelling from what we believe would be effective in our enjoyment of the show, not like what would get more pay-per-view buys.
1: No, of course not. For me, the one word is resonance. What resonates and how does it resonate? Not, oh yeah, like if you did this three weeks ago, then your buy rate would have been better because people would have wanted to see this match more. Like I, I say this all the time. You say it too. I don't work for any of these companies. It literally doesn't matter to me how many views something does, how many buy rates something does. I could not care any less of what the number- I just want a good story. I care about a good story. Right. right.
0: Um, but th- to talk about the outside interference I wanted to mention as far as match conclusions like when we expect interference like I think the most recent example is like any Roman Reigns title match. Yeah. Right. Like I'm going to use that same example with the the early pinfalls or the tables it's like like yeah yeah that I'm not saying Roman Reigns doesn't have good matches or anything like that but am I really that emotionally invested into anything that you could present me? until the bloodline comes out, until I see the Usos, until I see Solo, Sokoa, a Koa. Am I, am I really expected, are you expecting to believe me to believe after three years that we're going to see Roman Reigns versus X opponent? And it's just going to be a clean match with clean no, match. like, nope. right. So like I, I get to the point of what's the purpose of the first 12 to 15 minutes of the match. And some people, Jordan are okay
1: with that because they get enjoyment out of seeing that old school element that you were talking about at the beginning of this, where some people just like seeing the action of what's going on in between the ropes and the actual moves and selling itself. You,
0: you you make it like
1: I don't want to. See- no, no 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 no. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not being like look look what Jordan likes. I'm I'm just speaking generally here. That I think that is why some people are able to look past. Well, why am I even watching this? Because I know how this is going to end, I, or I know there's going to be an interference before the end of this. I think some people still do allow themselves to get lost in. And, and I'll speak on my own behalf here. I was there standing on the floor at WrestleMania, seeing Cody and Roman. We, everyone and their mother knew that the Uso, Solo Sokoa, Sami Zayn, and Kevin Owens were going to get involved in that match. But I still really enjoyed the storytelling in the micro sense that the two guys put into the match. I understood there wasn't going to be a pinfall before those interferences happened. But I think because I recognize and those guys have said it so much that they have an opportunity to own in on those callbacks, those references to those breadcrumbs because they are so good at doing that. It didn't affect my enjoyment of the match itself until the actual finish happened and the wrong guy won. but that's besides the point.
0: Right. I'm not, I'm not saying that like, I don't enjoy, no, you don't, things, I know that's not what you're saying, but, but I want to make it toward cause you, you are the one that brought it up mm-hmm. that the, the old, if you want to call it the old school, the traditional, I don't, whatever you want to call it, like what you're describing is like the opposite of what someone like the young bucks do. like, to me, I I view the, the young bucks, Kenny Hangman, as the modern pro wrestling kata to some extent, Osprey to some extent of the we know you know that this is choreographed. So yeah. it, so I know we have to deliver a twenty minute match, and we know that anything that happens in the first fifteen minutes probably doesn't to You're not going to buy. So you know how we're going to entertain you by just.
1: Doing crazy things.
0: Past, not yeah. selling much and just going spot to spot well, to spot because you like seeing that. And then the last five minutes what they do is they go we know you know the tropes. So we're going to throw in what you believe is an obvious false finish and you're going to go well they could obviously end it there but they don't and they ended some other what like they go through the 100%. motion of like trying to trick the magician. It, it is
1: very hard to predict a finish in a Young Bucks match because of everything you just said. You're 100% right on that. And I do think When you're talking about leaving the clues in the early parts of a story, I don't think there's anyone better in wrestling than the elite at doing that right now. And sometimes they just do it on their own jurisdiction and they worry about paying it off later down the line. To the point there was when the elite reunited recently with Hangman standing beside Kenny and the Young Bucks. They all stood in the same exact spots that they had done the different turns and the different points in that story that goes back three plus years at this juncture. So I think those guys are some of the best, but well, the young bucks don't know how to tell stories. I've been told so. Uh, sorry. Yeah, but,
0: the but the in but the but like, mm-hmm. the in ring like the story. I mean, you're talking about storylines like yeah. the macro, but just the in ring yeah, version yeah. of it. They're telling a story also, but they're they're telling the meta story of of. And some people don't, and hey, some people don't like it. I get it. They're, they're plenty, dude, I, there, there are plenty of matches that I've seen that are 25 minutes. I go back in time and go back to early eighties. Some of these matches that are heralded is, you know, and I go, wow, this is really slow and boring. <laughs> like, why is it slow and boring? Because like at my current age and experience in watching pro wrestling, I know this, I, know, I, I, I know the tricks, but back when I was, you know, 11 years old, like, no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know the tricks. So to me, I view guys, guys like the young bucks as meta wrestlers. And some did there, obviously there's some old hats that, that, Oh, it's all flippy shed. No stories. It's like, no, like, it's a different type of story. You're just, it's, it's, it's the same thing as, John, you listen to Springsteen, right? A few times, yeah. Right. So <laughs> I'm I'm not a huge Springsteen fan, right? You know, you know the type of music I listen to predominantly. Death you? metal, I know. I right? Know it. You could listen to death metal and go, "Wow, this is like this is like all noise." Like, what what's the difference between these five bands? It all sounds like noise to me. And then I could look at like Springsteen and go, "I I really can't tell the difference between like 17 of his songs because they all sound the same." Like. I'm not saying that what you listen to isn't music and you're not saying what you're listening to is not, it's just, it's a different, it appeals. It's to a, a diff- a My wife, my wife listens to this stuff and it goes, how do you stand the drums being that fast? I'm like, that's the appeal of it. That's why I listen. But
1: can I tell you something too? Like even as a musician, as someone that writes music, there is even a form of storytelling in music instrumentally that creates callbacks. You might hear a riff early in a song. And then at the end of the song, that same riff is revisited, but in an elevated way where it is paid off with a harmony attached to it. This stuff exists in all forms of media
0: outside and, of just pro wrestling. And it also exists in all forms of music. Cause I was in a hardcore band yeah, and we did the, most hardcore bands at the time. It was like, here's, here's the verse riff. Here's the chorus riff. Here's the verse riff again. Here's a bridge. Here's a double chorus, and you're out in two, two minutes and 20 seconds. We tended to write songs that, like, we called them story songs where the intro would be light, like almost uh, semi acoustic, but it's like that riff that you heard, like that, is like the ending crescendo of mm-hmm. the last chorus. Yeah, right. That- we only play at the end because it was in the beginning, it, and the little riff of the the, the 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 lead guitar going did, 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 did is going to be my vocal pattern during the bridge. And it's like if if you listen to it, like, God I mean, we we wrote like that because I mean, we had people like 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 Dream Theater, yeah, right, the Sugar. I mean, Very we had stuff, like, yeah. right, exactly. So like <laughs> we incorporated that in, but it's like, but uh, trust me, a lot of people would listen to our stuff and go like. I don't get it right cuz they'd be like 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 oh i'm used to hearing like verse chorus verse chorus bridge like fast 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 you're doing all this other stuff even though you're similar style music and it's like and then some people that appreciate it are like i need to buy all of your stuff <laughs> and it's <laughs> like that's kind of the audience that you that you want so like yeah. i don't want i don't want to say anything negative on like you know old school wrestling sucks and And I'm just going to watch, you know, you know, New Japan or Dragon Gate, PWG, whatever type of stuff. But it's they're all stories. It's just. Do you recognize these stories? Do you like these stories versus do you like these stories? Well, that goes
1: back to what I said at the beginning of this. Like, I think modern wrestling truly is a hybrid of storytelling. And we've recognized that. Things don't have to be just one way. There are things that you can do to present something differently while still leaning on these elements that have made storytelling so fluid for centuries now and so recognizable and allow us to connect to whatever we're consuming uh, effectively because we're opening our minds to what pro wrestling can be. At least that's how I consume pro wrestling. I, right. I try to keep an opening, an open mind, you know?
0: Right. To, but to, to wrap things up, I like the word that you used before resonate. Mm-hmm. Like if it resonates with someone, then it worked no matter what, what story you think it is or anything like that, that some stories, some matches, some characters resonate with this group of the audience. Yep. Some resonate with that group of the audience. Do you need a character or resonate a match to with the whole audience? Right. You really, you really don't. And if you watch a program where it's like, like I'm really invested in the journey of this character. I mean, some people mention people's names. Like my, my wife doesn't care about Brian Danielson. Like he's simply just like, okay, he's there or whatever. She hates CM Punk. She doesn't care. He, she goes, I hope he never comes back. <laughs> and then me knowing how, how CM Punk tells stories. It's like, I, 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 would rather have him here. I'd, ra- I'd, I'd rather have him here. I'd rather have him and hate him than not have him, but she's watching and she's watching her stories. And I'm watching my stories. She doesn't get any of the technical wrestling stuff. And I love the, the, the technical wrestling.
1: And, and Jordan, that's why I really hate when, some people suggest oh they're not telling stories because they don't resonate with me because it's not how i would have told the story i really hate that discourse a lot because i think it's unfair to the people who are the storytellers and i think that it almost gives off a sense of arrogance too uh, from your viewer perspective and how you consume a product Sometimes it's okay just to admit that something doesn't resonate with you. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's good either. But as you said, if it hits with somebody, then it was effective to some degree. Transformers. I could not care less about Michael Bay. It's stuff blowing up. But there are a whole lot of teenagers who love seeing shit just exploding out of nowhere. And it resonates with them. Some people, I'm, I'm crapping all over Michael Bay here, but some people think that Armageddon is like this classic movie that, and I think there's a whole nostalgia element to that. But that's a son's point. Um, but it did nothing for me. But it was an effective story for them, and they tear up when Bruce Willis dies. So you know what? Who am I to say uh, at the end of the day what was effective, what wasn't for someone else? Right. In um, stand-up
0: yeah. comedy, I mean that. The, the, the greatest point of stand up comedy from a, as a performer and as a, as a storyteller mm-hmm. is that you get instant feedback. Yeah. Like, you, like, like either real, the time. Work, real, real time, time right. Feedback. Real time, you get instant feedback. Uh, and then, you know, I'd have other comics that, you know, I'd, I'll help them with their material and stuff like that. And they'll, they'll say like, is this, is this, is this a good joke? Is this a good bit? And I go, well, did you perform? like, how did it, how did it resonate? And I go, yeah, you know, I, I I get a laugh where I'm supposed to get a laugh by most of the audience. I go, okay, I don't consider it a very considerably clever joke, or I think it's quite derivative. But like, I can't argue with the audience. Like, it wouldn't make me laugh, right? But if it makes 90 percent of the audience laugh, I can't. What do you think of this comic that you know, I, Jeff Dunham? I'm like derivative crap, but what he's great at what he does. I mean, like, I can't argue with that. So. In the same way with uh, with uh, stories that resonate. That if someone says that, you know what, I'm I'm really really wrapped up into what Lee Moriarty does, and I'd be like, I don't know how they portrayed it in a way that that you'd be emotionally <laughs> invested in him, but I'm glad you are, right? I do love uh, Lee right. So like, it's it's one of those things. And if you happen to not yeah. like a certain character, I mean, like no, I think I that's do. that that this show is more about. Like not what's best for business, not what's best for booking. It's like what resonates with you, John Alba, what resonates with me. And hopefully I see more of that on the shows that I watch, regardless of the promotion it is.
1: And I think if you listen to a show like this and you try to approach it with an open mind, maybe you'll start thinking about these psychological things when you're consuming a product that you weren't conscious of before. And we're just kind of, consuming without actually thinking about it and I think Jordan has a fantastic mind when it comes to breaking down storytelling and understanding uh, these I keep using this word but it's really the only word I can think of these elements of it that make it the most adoring thing in our lives we all love storytelling uh, whether it's in a way that we loved it as a kid or or as adults, we all love being told a story. And some of us really like telling those stories, too. And being able to have this discourse and have this discussion, I think, is so valuable, man. Like you said, we have it all the time here on the Wrestling According to Alba Patreon, Wrestling According to Alba.com. But I hope to have more of these here with you on Theory of Pro Wrestling. This was fantastic, man.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, it the, the key question is that none of what we're talking about is cinema, though. You know, there just wasn't enough Jey Uso
1: pouting around to call this cinema. So maybe if we can maybe if we can get him to come on and just do a little cameo for us, maybe then we can become cinema.
0: Okay, you can follow John Alba on Twitter at John Alba, J O N A L B A. You can follow me on Twitter, at Blender at Blender H D on Twitter if you like uh pro wrestling as well as fantasy sports. You'll see a mix of everything. You'll see jokes, whatever. It's my personal account. Go follow me there. And obviously, if you want to talk more. And have more intelligent wrestling discussion like this i'm 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 pretty active and john uh, john truthfully you're way more active than you know some other some other discords that feature, <laughs> feature personalities in them and uh and join the patreon wrestling alba.com and uh and feel free to to debate this amongst yourself or in the comment section here on youtube subscribe to the podcast and uh and next time we'll we'll go over some more pedantic stuff to debate over such as early pinfalls and and set up tables on another episode of the theory of pro wrestling.